Great, thank you. Now, we've been doing a series on Sunday mornings through the book of Joshua. We are halfway through the book of Joshua. There's 24 chapters in the book, and we have done so far up to chapter 12. And so there are 12 chapters left. And what we're going to do, by the time we have finished this morning, we're actually going to be near the end of the book of Joshua. We're going to look at nine chapters this morning. And at this point, alarm bells are ringing in your head. You are starting to panic and think, what on earth is Peter doing? You might be thinking, Peter's panicking. He thinks we might be ordered to close services. He's steamrolling on through here, trying to finish this series. Relax. Planned this out back in January. I knew exactly what we're going to preach this morning. It was the plan. We are not rushing through. In fact, what we're going to do, although it's nine chapters, I'm going to read two very small portions of these nine chapters. Because what you have in the book of Joshua, 24 chapters, you can divide it in half. First 12, second 12. The first 12 is a little bit like a history lesson. It's full of those fantastic, dramatic stories. And so you've got the crossing of the River Jordan. You've got the defeat of Jericho and the story of Rahab. You've got all the battles and the victories. And then you sweep into chapter 13. And pretty much the rest, well, these nine chapters that we're going to look at today is more of a geography lesson than a history lesson. What you'll find is lists and lists and lists of the names of tribes and geographical places, and boundary lines, and who lives where, and who lives there. Because after the great victories that we've been reading about over the last few weeks, it's time to actually claim the promised land, to take this land that God had promised centuries before, and start to divide it up amongst the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Because most of the victories have been won, And what they're going to do now is they're going to settle down and build their homes and bring up their families in God's land. And so after the excitement of the first 12 chapters that we've been working through over the last number of weeks, we come to this stage and it might seem like a bit of an anticlimax because these chapters aren't the most exciting that you'll find in the Bible. Is a pastor allowed to say that from the pulpit? Lists of names, geographical places. And it might actually spark a question in your head thinking, well, why did God put these chapters in the Bible to start with? Who's interested in places and boundary lines? What we actually find here in these chapters is a bit like the title deeds of your house. If you own a house, you will have a page which has your title deeds on it. It might be in your house, but probably with your solicitor. Those are really important documents Now, you don't whip them out at a party and start reading them to people. I was at a birthday party last night. My sister's 50 today, and so the family around at her house last night to celebrate her birthday. And in the midst of this party that was going on, my sister didn't whip out the title deeds for her house and say, well, my boundary line is here, and then it comes around here, because nothing would have killed a party like that. Now, does that mean my sister has no interest in that document? Well, she's not going to bring it out and read it that often but it has real significance to her because it shows you exactly what she owns, what she possesses. And so it has great importance to those who actually own that plot of land. Now, these verses here are of super importance to the children of Israel. After years of waiting, God had promised centuries before, after years of waiting for a land that God had promised, They were now there. 
after years of wandering in the desert, waiting for people to die off and so they could then enter the promised land, the time had now arrived. And through these chapters, they knew exactly what belongs to them, what belongs to this tribe, what belongs to these people here. They don't switch off when we go through this rest of the sermon. Don't switch off. Because in the midst of these names, in the midst of these locations, we find spiritual diamonds. We find these real nuggets, great spiritual lessons. Because we need to have the right theology of how we approach Scripture. And the key verse of how we handle Scripture is found in in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, and it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is no ordinary book. This is a book that is breathed out from the very mouth of God. This is God's Word, and so we take it seriously. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is what? What's the next word in the verse? And is profitable. All Scripture, even these chapters, lists of names and places and the spiritual truths. And so we don't just skip over. It'd be so much easier for me to say, well, those are not the most dramatic. It's not like the walls of Jericho, the story of Rahab. Everybody loves those kind of stories. Let's just skip over. No, because all Scripture is profitable. And in the midst of these names and lists, we see this incredible man of faith. In the midst of it, we come across the faith of Caleb. We're going to read about him. So in your Bible, if you've got a Bible, really helpful to turn to the book of Joshua and chapter 14. So let's read Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 1. I'll give you a little bit of the background of what's happening here, a little bit of what I've explained, and then we'll sweep into the story of Caleb. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel give them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one half tribes. For Moses had given inheritance to two and one half tribes beyond the Jordan. But to the Levites, he gave no inheritance amongst them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanites, Canaanites said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barina, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barina to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land in which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now, Give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. 
For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And maybe the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed them, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephna, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Canaanite, this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kerith Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Amen. Now, the land was Israel's inheritance. As I said, he had promised it to them centuries before he had taken their ancestor Abraham and given them this promise of the land. And as they entered the promised land, God had told them that he would go with them. He would fight for them, and the land was theirs to take. God himself would drive out the enemies. What did the children of Israel need to go do as they stepped into the promised land? What they needed to do was they needed a faith in what God had said. God said, the land is yours. The land is yours for the taking. I will fight for you. Go in and claim your inheritance. And so as they moved forward, it was an act of faith. What they needed to do, even though there was enemies in front of them, they needed to obey the instructions that God had given them. Now, sadly, they weren't always obedient. That's the story that runs through the Bible. God's people, the children of Israel, often don't trust him. They don't obey him. They don't follow his instructions. So later on in this book, in chapter 18, Joshua gives a rebuke to the people. He says these words. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land, which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? And so there comes a point where they're hesitant. There's land to be claimed and inheritance to enjoy. And yet they don't go forward. Maybe they get tired of fighting. Maybe they doubt they can overcome this next army. And they don't go forward and claim this good inheritance. In contrast to those who Joshua rebukes, stands an 85-year-old man, one of the heroes of faith, a man called Caleb. Now, we know Caleb from earlier on in, uh, in the Bible. Caleb was one of those spies. Remember the story where 12 spies are sent out 45 years earlier. 12 spies are sent out by Moses into the promised land to observe it, to see what it's like, and to bring back a report to the people. And we know that 10 of those spies lacked faith. They forgot what God had promised. They forgot that God had already given them the land and God would fight for them. And so when they went into the promised land and spied it out, what did they see? Well, they saw fortified cities. And they saw large walls and they saw the size of the enemies and the numbers of them. And they came back to the people and they gave their support. We're not able to do this. They are too strong. They are too mighty. And they forgot what God had told them. They didn't put faith in what God had already promised. But there were two spies who were completely different. One was Joshua, now the leader of God's people, and Caleb as well. And they went, and what did they see? They saw the same things. They saw the fortified cities. They saw the size of the walls, the size of the enemies and the numbers. And they came back, and what was that report? They said, God is able. They had a completely different perspective. They were two people who walked by faith. The other 10, they walked by sight. We are not able. But Joshua and Caleb stand out in complete contrast. And as a result of their lack of faith and unbelief, the children of Israel had to wander in the desert for 40 years until they all died out. Only two were allowed to survive. Only two from that time were ever allowed to enter into the promised land and to claim the inheritance that God had promised to his people, Joshua and Caleb. And so we've learned a lot about Joshua already as we worked our way through the book, but here we come to the other spy, this other great man of faith, Caleb. Now this is now 
45 years later. He's no longer a 40-year-old spy. He's an 85-year-old man. What do we discover? His faith, his trust, and his obedience in God is still as strong as it was 45 years earlier. What a challenge. What a challenge even to our older members here in church. Faith isn't just, and obedience isn't just for a part of your life. That over the years, your faith and the evidence of your faith is still as strong as ever. And 40 years earlier, as Caleb had come into the land, Moses had given a promise. Let's read it again, verse 9 of chapter 14. And Moses swore on that day, that was the day that he had gone in and come back with the report as he spied out the land. And, on that, and Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. That's the promise. You went into the land, Caleb. You walked about in a certain area. You spied it out. When you get, finally do come into the promised land, that bit that your foot walked along, that's yours. That's your inheritance. And for 45 years, he's had to wait. Hasn't seen this patch of land since then. And now it's time for him to claim what Moses had promised to him. And he asked Joshua now for the land. Look at verse 12 again. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb says, give me this land. This land that God had promised to me. I want to claim it. Now, it's not an empty land. There's fortified cities. There's enemies. He's 85 years of age, but he's not put off by the challenge. He's keen to get in and claim his inheritance. Why? Because he's still trusting the word of the Lord. He knows that God will give the land to him. Even though there's people living there, it's not a problem. It's already been promised to him by the Lord himself. And what's the key phrase in this passage? I don't know if you picked it up. It's mentioned three times. Here's the key phrase, a wonderful phrase about Caleb. He wholly followed the Lord. That is a wonderful, wonderful expression. This is no half-hearted believer. He wholly followed the Lord. It reminds me of the words that Jesus said to his followers in Matthew's gospel where he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. What kind of followers does Jesus want? Half-hearted followers? Flaky? Sunday-only followers? No. He wants people like Caleb, people who wholeheartedly follow the Lord. They hear God's words. They hear God's instructions. They see God's commands for their lives. They say, we are going to follow these commands. Why? Because we want to be wholehearted. And we know that God will be true to his promises. And God will be true to his instructions that he has given to his people. He's not put off by the enemies. He's not put off by fortified cities. But by faith, he steps forward and he claims the land of Hebron, his inheritance. Why is an 85-year-old man able to succeed where others and the children of Israel don't move forward? They don't claim the inheritance that is rightfully theirs. They don't receive the blessings that God wants to give them. Why? Why does he succeed where others fail? It's this phrase here. He wholly followed the Lord. That's what faith looks like. You want a description of faith? Faith means you wholly follow the Lord. This is no lightweight believer. Despite what he saw, he obeyed God's word. Why? 
because he trusts in God. And so in the midst of this dull list of names of places, we find this spiritual gem. He's a great example for us, isn't he? We think about living our lives and being obedient to God's word. Are we people where it could be said, Peter Lawther, he wholly followed the Lord? Or whatever your name is, could this be said about you? As it says three times in this passage by Caleb, wholly followed the Lord. It's a great example. It's a great, great challenge as well. And this is one of the key themes that runs the whole way through the book of Joshua. It's this whole theme of obedience. God has given instruction, and there's a blessing for following God's instruction. And the, the message that runs through is, are you going to obey? Will the people obey what God has instructed them to do? Will the people wholly follow the Lord? And it runs the whole way through the book. So right at the start, and we had this in our first sermon in the series, is Joshua 1, as God appears to Joshua before he crosses the Jordan to take the people in. This is the instruction that's given. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, so that you can be obedient. And what happens if you are obedient? If you wholly follow God. For then you will make your way prosperous. and Then you will have good success. God will spiritually bless you if you wholeheartedly follow him and are obedient. So the book starts with that. And we see that as we work through as God's people are obedient. They experience God's blessing. And when they disobey God, and they don't trust his good word or his good promises, then difficulties come into their lives. And then if you sweep right to the end of the book, and we'll get here shortly in, in chapter 24, we have that great declaration that people are, are very familiar with. Sometimes have it as a plaque in your house. You know, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua says. And then the people respond. I hope you know these words because I wrote about it in the front page of our monthly bulletin. So you can check out if you've read this or not. But here's how it finishes in Joshua 24. This is the people's response. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. We're going to be obedient to what God tells us to do. How would you describe that? We're going to wholly follow the Lord. A great example that we see here in Scripture and a great challenge as well. I wonder how often we are guilty of being half-hearted in our commitment to the Lord. For many of us, well, we're not unbelievers. Yes, we, we've put our faith and trust in Christ. But in different aspects of our life, we don't wholly follow the Lord. We know the promises of God. We know his instructions to his people. And yet sometimes we pick and choose what is convenient for us. Or we are influenced by our culture, our society, more than what God's word says. Could it be said of us, we wholly follow the Lord. We're more prone at times to follow our own senses and our own feelings. We need to be people who wholly follow the Lord. Because as we see through the book of Joshua, when we don't, then difficulties arise in the lives of his people because we're straying away from his goodwill for our lives. I want us to think about this because these are challenging times. We are at a challenging period of life. We're not sure what's exactly going to happen. How much will this uh, disease affect people in our country? 
how, what impact it's going to have upon society over the next, even church life over the next few weeks or months that lie ahead. And there's a challenge for us because we're frantically looking around, we're frantically looking to the news and we don't know what to do. And we need, as I said at the start of our service, we need to look to the Lord. And we need to look to the Lord's word and his instructions. How do we act? How do we behave? How do we conduct ourselves in the midst of the chaos in the world at the moment? Does God's word speak into us? Well, it does, because it speaks into every aspect of our lives. And the question is, when we read God's word, are we going to wholly follow it? As I said when we're talking to children, lots of people are anxious at the moment, concerned, worried. What does God's word speak into that? Let's take you, lots of examples, to take you to one. Let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, very familiar words. Here's where it starts off. It starts off with a great truth. It says, the Lord is at hand. So in the chaos of our world at the moment, what do you need to hear? The Lord is at hand. He's not a distant God. The Lord is at hand. And then what does it say next? It says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, there's a challenge, isn't it? Do not be anxious. Because what's our human nature at the moment? To be totally stressed? To be panic, panicking about what's happening? No, do not be anxious about anything. And then the contrast, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Bring it to God. Don't be anxious. Bring it to God in prayer. And what's the promise then that flows from that? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, no human logic for it, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's God's instruction to his people. In a situation like us, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the peace of God. Passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Here's the challenge for us as we step forward in the uncertain days as God's people. How are we going to act and behave as God's people in a situation we've never experienced before? Are we going to wholly follow the Lord? May God help us to wholly follow the Lord. But you might say, why should we follow the Lord? in a circumstance like this. Well, that brings us on to the second lesson that we see in this, these passages. We see the faith of Caleb, but we also see the faithfulness of God. We have a God who keeps his promises. Well, how can these chapters be looked upon as profitable? We've talked about this. Why are they included in the Bible? Well, one of the key things we see through this list of names and places is we have a God who keeps his promises. Centuries before, God had um, given these promises to Abraham, three incredible promises. Let me recap the promises you're familiar with. First promise he said to Abraham is, I'm going to make you into a nation. It seemed laughable. He was an old man with a barren wife. I'm going to make you into a nation more than the stars in the night sky. This nation I'm going to give you are going to live in a promised land, the land of Canaan. And through you, through your family, through your seed, through your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The three incredible promises, a nation, a land, and a blessing to all the nations. Well, as I said, the first promise seemed ridiculous, but God was faithful to his promise. And so this old man with a barren wife gives birth to a nation. God keeps his promises because we have a God who's faithful. But once they become a nation, the time of Joseph and so forth, what's the problem? 
They're stuck as slaves in Egypt. And that second promise, the land, looks impossible. How can a bunch of slaves claim the promised land? But what do we see from the pages of Scripture? God is faithful to his promises. And miraculously, he brings them out through the Red Sea, and he brings them towards the land he has promised. And here, as we read these pages, it jumps out. God is keeping his promise. This bit of land, that's for your family. This bit of land, that's for this tribe. The Levites, you're going to live in this city. And all these allocations, and what is every single bit of detail in this passage saying? God has kept his promise. Centuries before, he made it to Abraham. When there were slaves in Egypt, I'm sure they thought, they were tempted to think, God is never going to be able to keep his promise. We will never, ever be in the promised land. And yet, every name, every list here, is another point proving God has kept his promises. God is faithful. And then we read these incredible words right at the end of chapter 21. Flick forward to the end of chapter 21 and verse 43. Joshua 21, verse 43 through to verse 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. You get it? Not one word of all the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. God keeps his promises. Why should we put our faith in the Lord? Why should we wholly follow the Lord? Because he's trustworthy. Because God is faithful and he always keeps his promises. He promised a nation, kept it. He promised promised them land, promised land. He kept that as well. But what about that third promise, a blessing to the nations? The reason God had brought his people into this land was he was preparing something even greater. He was preparing the way for his son to come into the world, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born into this nation, a descendant of Abraham. Where did he live? He lived in this promised land. The places listed in these chapters are the places Jesus Christ lived, the places that he walked as he ministered. Where did Jesus Christ, the son of God, die? In these boundary lines. And there he died, not for his sins, but for the sins of people all around the world. Where was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, buried? It was in this land listed here in Joshua. And what happened a few days later? He rose again with power. And the people who lived in the land were the people who saw him, who touched him, who saw the evidence that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was alive and again. And he died for the sins, not just of the people who lived in this land, but for all who believe and all who put their trust in him. And so we read in 1 John 4, 14, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of just the children of Israel? No, the Savior of the world. And through through this one nation, all the nations would be blessed if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we see those three promises that God had given to Abraham, God keeps every single one. Why? 
because he is a faithful God. And what does a faithful God call us to do? He calls us to respond to him. He calls us to fully follow him. Fully following the Lord starts by putting your faith and trust in Christ. You start wholly following the Lord. You start obeying him by putting your faith and trust in him. Because for all of us at some stage, we're not following the Lord. We're going our own way. We're going a different direction. The Bible says we need to repent. We need to turn around and we need to wholly follow the Lord, to trust him, obey him, make him the captain of our lives. Can I ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you ever started following the Lord? The one who's faithful, who keeps his promises, he's control of all things, he died on the cross for your sins. You need to start this morning by following the Lord, trusting him as your savior. But the Christian life continues by wholeheartedly following the Lord. And what are God's promises to his children? Has he promised us an easy life? Does God promise his followers, those who wholly follow him, that there will be no battles, that you will have immunity from all the troubles of this world? Well, that's not the story of the Bible. It's not what you see in the pages of Joshua. Even as these people followed God, they had trials and tribulations as well. But what does God promise his children in the midst of life here on this earth? Well, there's different things. Let me give some of his promises. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you gives us that promise from Psalm 46 that I read at the start, that he'll be a refuge and strength, an ever-present help in the time of trouble. And one day, he promises that he will bring us home. He will break, bring us home to claim our inheritance, a perfect heavenly kingdom to live with him forever and ever and ever. And the question here this morning is, with these striking promises that God gives his children, can we trust God's promises? Can we believe his word? And the story that we see here in Joshua is, of course we can. And the story that's repeated the whole way through the Bible is, God keeps his promises. God is faithful to his word and his promises to his children. And as we finish here this morning, that's really important for us to grasp. Because we live in uncertain days. And I don't want to over egg this whole thing and make too much of it but we don't know what lies ahead in the next few weeks how this will affect us as a as a society so it's uncertain days and in the face of uncertain days we need to we need to cling to this important truth that god is a faithful god and what has he promised us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us so if you get an illness what does he promise you he'll never leave you nor forsake you the government needs to bring in a rule where people are not allowed out of their house and you end up being isolated on your own in your house for days or for weeks. What do you need to know? God promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In the midst of this situation, what do you need to know? God promises, I'm a refuge in strength, never present help in troubled time. And if the worst thing possible actually does happen and affects anybody in our congregation, Say illness strikes, even death affects people in our congregation. What do we need to know? We need to know the promises of God. And where do we need to go? Well, I go back to last Sunday night's sermon where Andy McDonald preached and he finished off our series in John. He had that great, great passage from John 11 where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. 
That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope that we have as believers. And so in certain days, what do we need to cling to? We need to cling to the promises of God. And the question is, can we trust them? Can we trust God's promises? Is he a faithful God? And the message of the book of Joshua is, absolutely. Will we have a service here next week? Will we be allowed to meet? I have no idea. I hope we are. And then at some point we're told to, to close down public gatherings. When will we meet again? No idea. We don't know. And so in the midst of this uncertainty, as believers, we need to cling to the truth of Scripture. God is faithful. And he can be trusted. In response, we need to pray that no matter what lies ahead, pray that God would help us to wholly follow the Lord. We're going to sing about that now as our musicians come. We're going to sing about faith in a God who can be trusted.